going to continue in our series that we began a few weeks ago in the book of Genesis. We're calling Beginnings. Today we're going to be looking at uh, uh, a part of Genesis that involves the, the beginning of a new nation. And uh, we're not going to be reading the whole thing, but basically it'll be coming from Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 22. Uh, we've made it through those two big stories at the beginning of Genesis. Uh, uh, you know, the ones that most people are at least a little bit familiar with, even people that, that don't go to church and aren't Christians, maybe. They, they, they've heard, at least heard of the first two stories. Uh, you know, the story of creation, Adam and Eve, and paradise, and the snake, and the forbidden fruit, and the fig leaves, and, you know, being kicked out of the, the garden. Uh, a lot of people have heard of Adam and Eve. Uh, and we've also seen the flood. Most people have heard of Noah and the ark, and we've, we, we looked at how evil had become so, so great in the world, and we saw righteous Noah and the ark that he built, the animals that God brought to him to put on the ark, and, and then uh, the second creation of creation as God began again with Noah and his family. In, in those two stories, we see God's initial plan to try to get all mankind to be faithful to him. Uh, but what God saw and what he surely knew was going to happen, uh, you know, once sin entered the heart of mankind, there was no way that man was going to consistently choose, turn, turn to him and serve him. It, it just wasn't going to happen. Mankind was destined to serve himself, not God. And without intervention from God in a miraculous way, uh, mankind was destined for eternal separation from God. So after the flood, God decided on a different tactic. No longer would he try to work through all of mankind, all nations, to try to get everybody to serve him. God saw that, that he could have greater success in helping all of mankind, all, all of mankind by working through one man, one family, one nation. So the rest of Genesis is basically God beginning his plan to bring salvation to all of mankind through Abraham. But before we get to Abraham, uh, let's briefly mention the Tower of Babel or Babel. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I'm going to say Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9, we read this bizarre story of this tower that we call the Tower of Babel. Uh, it's just a, a few short verses uh, about how after the flood, the descendants of Noah basically all stayed together in the, in the same basic area. They all spoke the same language and all lived in the same region of the earth. And there they, they came together to build this great city. Uh, we call it, or later, we see that it was called Babel. Um, in, in the city, uh, they began to build this great tower as well in the middle. And we're not sure exactly what the tower was, uh, was, was for exactly. Uh, sometimes towers were built to be temples. You would sacrifice things up on the top, and, and there would be a temple down at the bottom. Um, it might have been an attempt, uh, many people think, to just reach and touch God, you know, the somehow get up to where God is. Uh, or it could have just been just a structure. It was common to build towers in the middle of cities in that time. 
just to show their power you know, and, and their prestige. And, and, and while many focus on just the tower in this story, that it's all about the tower, uh, it seems that God is just as much concerned about the city as he is the tower that's built in it. Uh, God sees potential trouble uh, as all of mankind come together to build this great city that included a tower. You know, throughout history, much of the corruption and godlessness uh, in the world has taken place in urban areas. You know, we just look at our country today and we see uh, where is is the greatest concentration of crime uh, in America? It's in the large cities like New York and Chicago and Los Angeles. Large cities are where criminals often come and concentrate. And, and it's also large cities are also where the intellectuals and the elite and the educated and the, the, the wealthy seem to concentrate as well. Generally, <clears throat> criminals and people who are wealthy uh, and of the elite class, you know, they generally don't tend to move towards God. No, they, they tend to move away from him. And so people that build cities and, and, and migrate to cities are often tempted to think, you know, look at all that we've made. Look at all that we have. Um, look, at, look at how wealthy we are. Look at all the structures that we have created. Why do we need God after we've got all this and accomplished all this? So here the whole population of mankind was involved in building this great city. And, and God saw that this was not going to end well in their relationship with him. Verse, chapter 11, verse 6 says, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, to build the city, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. In other words, they will think that they don't need me if they continue to build this city. So God decided he was going to take action to do something about this. And so we read in verse 9, 7 through 9, God said, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them uh, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel. Um, Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Languages were changed. Uh, The people then, because they couldn't understand each other, they all scattered. Probably by family groups. They just scattered all over the place and began to settle in different areas all over the earth. Sort of a forced dispersion. You know, one of those families uh, moved to a region called the Ur of the Chaldeans, where eventually a man named Abram was born. And it was Abram through whom God uh, decided to bring salvation to all mankind. And in order to do that, God needed to build, to begin a new nation that he could use exclusively to bring about his new salvation plan. So let's take a look at how God began that nation and the man that he used to make it happen. God's new nation. You know, the first thing you need if you're going to start a new nation is what? People. 
you know, nations are, are very much like the church. Uh, uh, we know that the church is not this building. Uh, if, the, you know, if the church were this building, there's only like five people here today. Uh, I, I think this, this situation that we're in today sort of highlights the fact that the church is not the building. Because uh, you who are watching today, you are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are a part of Stony Brook Christian Church, even though you're in your homes right now. Um, uh, the, the church is not the building. It's a group of people who are united in serving Jesus together. And a nation is much the same. A nation is not just a plot of ground somewhere. It's a group of people uh, living and growing and serving and protecting each other. So if God wants a nation, he needs people to make that nation. God's choice of people to start his nation was very interesting, to say the least. Uh, as we read through God's word, we, we often see that, that God does things exactly the opposite of the way that you and I might do them. How many of us, if we were God, would have chosen to have our son born in a stable, in a barn, and, laid, and have that newborn baby laid in a feed trough filled with hay. You know, none of us would have done that, but that's what God chose to do. So when God searched the earth for likely candidates to start his nation, um, he went to a city called Ur. Now, Ur is located in what is now southeastern Iraq. Uh, scholars believe that that's where it was, near where the Tigris and the Euphrates River come together. <clears throat> and there in Ur, God found a young, vibrant couple just starting out in their life together, ready to start a new family. No way, no way. That's the, that's the couple that you and I would have chosen if we were going to start a new nation. Uh, you know, new nation, new couple, right? That makes sense. No, God didn't choose a young, vibrant, fertile young couple to start his new nation. No, he chose an elderly couple. Uh, Abram was 75 years old. Uh, Sarai was 65. She was well past childbearing age. So, so wait, what, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to start a new nation, and, and we're going to do that with a couple who are carrying AARP cards, <laughs> uh, and, and they can't have children. That's who we're going to use to start our new nation? Well, not only that, but, but this couple's family uh, are pagans. They're pagans. Uh, Joshua 24 verse 2 through 3 tells us that Abram's father, Terah, worshipped other gods. He was a polytheist like we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, the area of Ur um, was a place where many gods were worshipped. They were polytheists. And, you know, in those systems, you had different gods who had specific uh, uh, powers to take care of, of different needs. Uh, many of the people that scattered from the city of Babel <clears throat> were eventually became pagans, including Abram's family. Now, we don't know if Abram was, himself was a pagan. He very well may have been, but we do know that he was raised in a pagan family. So the beginning of the plan to rescue us from sin and restore our relationship with God includes an elderly, barren couple who were raised by pagans. Okay, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a few, for a few minutes, but let's see how this happened, how this all came about. Let's read Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. 
the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Well, if Abram was a pagan before, and he may well have been, after this visit uh, uh, from the true living God who came and literally spoke to him, uh, if he had been a pagan before, he was instantly converted to monotheism, to, to a worshiper of the true God. The God of creation spoke to Abram and instructed him to get up, to take his family, and to go, well, just go wherever I show you. I've often wondered what I would have done if, if I had been uh, in Abram's shoes, um, uh, if God had made that kind of request to me. Mark, just get up, take your family, and just go. Don't worry about where, just go. You know, sometimes God does that directs us today even and maybe it won't be in the exact same way as he did with Abram uh, but God does call us to do things to do things that he wants us to do in his kingdom unlike Abram you know if we are Christians we have God living in us uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit God doesn't have to go and find us and then speak to us from outside uh, uh, he doesn't have to do that with us as Christians because he's always there. He's always, in fact, he's inside of us uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit. So if we are in tune with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, if we're yielding our lives and seeking his guidance, we might hear him call us to be, I don't know, a church planter like Kevin McNeil over in Goldsboro who's come and spoken to us and we, we support um, you know, he felt a calling to go and be a church planter, and he was led to Goldsboro to do that. Uh, or he might call you to reach out to a neighbor or a coworker, or a friend to meet a need that they have or to share the love of Christ with. You know, it's all a matter of listening and being ready to go where the Holy Spirit calls us. Well, amazingly, Abram was listening to God, and he was ready to obey. He was ready to go to wherever God led him. <clears throat> in Hebrews, in the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 8, we read about Abraham. The Hebrew writer writes, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So what compelled Abram to just obey, to just obey? His faith in God. Um, now, whether it was a faith that he had been developing outside of his pagan family, or, it, or if it was a faith that just suddenly came when God spoke to him. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a strong enough faith that Abram was willing to do whatever God called him to do. Even though Abram didn't have any idea where God was leading him or his family, he trusted God. He knew that God knew what he was doing, and he obeyed. He obeyed. And that's hard sometimes to do, isn't it? To, to obey, to do what we know God wants us to do. 
we know from God's word or from maybe the urging of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us uh, where God wants us to go or what God wants us to do in our lives. And our, wis- our human wisdom says, oh, no, no, oh, no, I don't need to do that, God. I, I don't need to do that, God. That, that doesn't make any sense to me, and I can't understand why you would want me to do that. Uh, or, God, there's no way I could do that. I'm not able, I'm not skilled to do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not strong enough to do that, God. Surely, God, God, you don't know what you're talking about here if you're asking me to do that. You know, sometimes it's difficult to, to put our wisdom aside and just trust God that he knows what he's doing. Uh, but, but even when it seems like what God wants just doesn't make sense, we should just trust him. If, we, if, if God's word is clear and if the Holy Spirit speaking to us is clear, we, we, we've got to learn to just trust him. Because he's God, and he does know what he's doing. Let's go back to God's decision to choose Abram and his wife Sarai. Now, why did God choose this old, worn-out couple to begin his nation? Well, think about it. If God had chosen a young, vibrant, strong, fertile, confident young couple to begin his nation... uh, the couple, you know, that you and I would have chosen if it had been us, um, what would they have been tempted to do? Uh, w- wouldn't it have been much like God's concern over the people of, of Babel uh, and, and why he dispersed them? You know, look at what we did. Look at what we did. Well, of course the nation is great. Uh, look who started it. Us, yeah, we're, you know, we were so smart and we were so strong and we were so energetic. How could it have been anything but great, considering who the mother and father of this nation are? That might have been the temptation of a young, vibrant, fertile, strong couple. As it was, by choosing an older couple, even a barren woman, someone who couldn't even have children, you know, there, there's only one possible person that could get the credit god god gets the credit through abram and sarai the only way abram and sarai are going to have a child is if god makes it happen and then he gets the credit he gets the credit the other thing that that we see in god's decision to use abram and sarai is that no matter who you are no matter how old or young you are, no matter how rich or poor, no matter where you come from, where you live, where you work, what your past is, God can use you, no matter who you are. In fact, we read in the New Testament, you and I, if you're a Christian, um, you are an important part of God's kingdom. Every single one of us who are Christians are an important part of God's kingdom. None more important than the other. Um, His nation today is the church, and every one of us as Christians is a part of that nation. A couple of passages from the New Testament. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, Now you are, you Christians, not just one or two of you, but all of you, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of us are a part of the body of Christ. 
He also wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And when, when Paul is talking about the church and the body of Christ, you know, he's not just talking about the leaders and those certain skilled people that are out front and, and do all the, all the talking. No, he's talking about every single member of the body of Christ, which includes, guess what? You, you, uh, each person, not just the young people, not just the smart people, not just the rich people, not just the skilled people, but every person in the body of Christ is a part of it. God proved through Abram and Sarai that he can use each of us in his kingdom. No matter who we are, God can and will and wants to use you in his kingdom. God made his choice of, of who would begin his nation, commanded him to get up and to go, and at the same time revealed his plan for his new nation. And the plan had four distinct features, four distinct features. So let's look at the fourfold features of God's new nation as given to Abraham. Look at Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3 again. Uh, I will make you, he said, God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham, Abram at that time. Uh, so let's look at the four uh, features of God's plan that he revealed to Abraham. First, God will make his new nation great. You know, there are a lot of great nations that were already in existence during that time uh, when Abram was called, like the Egyptians, the Sumerians, the, and, and others that lived around the region. As time would go by, there would be more great nations like the Persians, the Babylonians, the Syrians. We read about many of those in, in the Old Testament. Later, there would be the Greeks and then the Romans, all great nations of power and influence in the world were constantly surrounding uh, Abram, Abram and this new nation. And God promised Abram that a, a nation would emerge from him that would rank among all the other great nations. And, and in fact, during the time of Solomon, uh, Israel, which is what the nation would, become, would be known as, Israel would indeed be one of the richest, most powerful nations on earth. So God's telling Abram, you know, from you, you, you and your wife Sarai, um, is going to come this great nation that is going to be as powerful, if not more powerful, than any other nation on earth. Secondly, uh, God said that he would make Abraham's name great. You know, God would eventually rename Abram Abraham, which is what we always, always have to make myself say Abram during a sermon like this. But now I can start saying Abraham, which is more, uh, it was easier for me. God eventually renamed Abram Abraham. He promised Abraham that his name would be great. And indeed, that promise has been fulfilled uh, many times. You know, for centuries, for a millennium, Abraham's name is, rec is recognized as the father of God's people. And even today, 4,000 years after Abraham began God's nation, 
uh, we refer to our God, the true living God, as who? He's the God of Abraham. His name, indeed, was made great. Thirdly, God will bless all who bless Abraham and curse the ones who curse Abraham. From the beginning, as long as God's people remain faithful, as long as God's nation remain faithful to him, no one could harm this nation. No one. You know, how many times uh, were the, the armies of Israel outnumbered by, by many, uh, by their enemies? Uh, yet God would always give them victory when they were being faithful to him. Uh, perhaps the, one of the most famous ones that we might be familiar with is Gideon. In Judges chapter 7, verse 12, we see what Gideon faced. Uh, it says, The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of camels. <laughs> and for every camel was a soldier and maybe more than one. Uh, so yet, with, with that vast enemy facing them, um, Gideon, with only 300 men, and their weapons were, were really something, lamps and trumpets, lamps and trumpets, uh, the Midianites were soundly defeated because God was on their side. With God in your camp, you cannot be defeated. And, and so Abraham's nation was always blessed uh, when they were faithful and their enemies were cursed. And then the fourth feature of this plan is this. God will bless all the nations of the world through Abraham and this new nation. Uh, now, this is where you and I come in to the promises that were given to Abraham. Those promises that we read about here in Genesis uh, were not only for him and his immediate descendants, but for you and me as well. God will use his new nation to eventually bless every nation. All people on earth will be blessed through Abraham, including you and me. God will use this new, na new nation to reveal his heart and his plan to win us back from when we fell in the garden. He will use this nation to rescue us from our sin because it is this new nation that will bring to us Jesus. Abraham goes where God leads him, and uh, the rescue plan just takes off. But as so often happens with we humans, you know, we, everything we touch, we're not careful, kind of goes haywire. Um, uh, everything did not go well in the beginning. Uh, the beginning of this new nation was met with some turbulence. First, Sarai... Uh, whose name was later changed to Sarah, now I can say what I want to say, Sarah, uh, decided that she would help God along with his plan. God needed some help from her. Uh, she knew that she was well beyond childbearing age, and so she figured there's no way in the world I'm going to ever have a son. So probably what God intended was for, for her to use one of her servants to get everything going. So it was very common in, in that time and in that culture for people to not only have multiple wives, and, and, and nowhere in Scripture do you see God condone multiple wives, but 
that culture, in that culture, many, many people practiced that. Not only would, you have, would a man have multiple wives to bring children into the world, but they would often use their servants, who would also be uh, a wife, uh, to, to bear the children. So the wives' servants would help in the bearing of children. You, you could have a lot of children that way if you had multiple wives and also multiple servants. So Sarah tried to help God along. Let me help you, God, uh, by choosing her servant, Hagar, to bring uh, a child to Abraham, since Sarah, Sarah, Sarah knew she couldn't do it. It was a very common practice repeated all the time. The problem with what Sarah did was not so much that she used a servant to give Abraham a child, but that she tried to second-guess God's plan altogether and try to help him out with what God wanted to do. You know, if God had wanted to use Hagar or some servant in his plan, he would have told her, this is what I'm going to do. Sarah should have been patient with God and waited for God to do things his way instead of trying to, to jump the gun. But instead, Hagar gave Abraham Ishmael. Now, God did make Ishmael into a great nation, uh, but not God's rescue nation. It was a different nation. Today, Arabs and uh, through them, Islam exists, tracing their heritage back to the child that Sarah thought God meant to be his nation. Now, it didn't take them long to figure out that, hey, that's not what God meant. God didn't have that in mind at all. Uh, God intended Sarah to bring his nation's child into existence. And, and when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, God told her that she was going to bear a son. Now, the Bible says that Sarah <laughs> laughed. Sarah laughed when she heard that. Uh, and you ladies out there and, and guys too, I, I, I think you could understand why she laughed if you were... 90 years old, and someone said, hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby. Uh, 90 years old, that, that could never happen. But laugh or not, when the time had come, Sarah gave birth to her first son, her firstborn, Isaac. And guess what they named him? Guess what, guess what Isaac means? Laughter, laughter, ironically. Now that God's nation is back on course, um, Isaac will grow up, he'll take a wife, and the nation will begin to multiply and everything will be fine. But wait, wait, not so fast, not so fast. You know, in Genesis 22, we read how God came to Abraham with this uh, seemingly bizarre, crazy command. Let's look at Genesis 22, verse 2. Then God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. What? What? Here, uh, it's amazing to see the faith of Abraham shine through to this bizarre, crazy command. Um, as crazy and as unreasonable as this command must have seemed to Abraham, he set out to do just as God asked him to do, commanded him to do. Now, again, I don't think I could have done that. I, I would have really struggled with obeying this command. But Abraham was ready to, to do it. 
Maybe after all that had happened, maybe after he had seen God faithfully lead him to this new home, uh, after he had seen how trying to do it his way with Ishmael, how that worked out. Abraham simply concluded, you know, God's never led me wrong yet. And why would this be different? So I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. Here's what the Hebrew writer says about this whole event. Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 18. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises uh, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham was ready to do it, ready to trust God. Somehow God's going to work it out. I don't know how. Maybe he'll raise him up from the dead. Uh, somehow God, Abraham knew God was going to, to work it out and he trusted him. And di God did work it out. In fact, God didn't have to raise him from the dead. God just stopped Abraham just at the last moment when he was about to plunge the knife into his son. And then God provided an, a lamb instead for the sacrifice, which was a very happy ending to that sacrificial, sacrificial story. But yet 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, another would offer himself, uh, one who would come from this nation, Abraham's nation, Israel. And ironically, on that very same hill, you know, the, the hill that Isaac was, a, was almost offered on um, as a sacrifice, and the hill that this lamb appeared and was sacrificed, it was that same hill that Jerusalem eventually was built and that Jesus was sacrificed on. Uh, on that same hill, Jesus would give his life this time, he was the lamb, the lamb that would rescue you and me from our sin and then win us all back to God. Here's a take home for us today. Uh, you know, in choosing Abraham and Sarah to begin the new nation, God reveals a pattern that still continues today. As I said earlier, God chooses unlikely people who are not the smartest, not the most beautiful, not the most handsome, uh, not those with, who don't have the best resumes. Uh, God chooses those kind of people to do his work. God chooses ordinary people, ordinary people just like you and me, uh, to do some pretty awesome things. No one, not you, not me, no one is disqualified to be used greatly in the kingdom of God. So never think that God cannot use you because it's not true. I can't think of, of anything greater in the kingdom of God, for example, than a mom or a dad raising their child to love and serve Jesus. You know, if, if, as a parent, if that's all you do for the kingdom of God, what a tremendous blessing that is for your child and for the kingdom of God as you pass on that legacy of faith. And so one of, one of our greatest jobs as moms and dads uh, is to, to, to bring up our children in the Lord. 
And that's, your, that's a service to God's kingdom, to God's nation today. You may be called to be a great evangelist like Billy Graham or Frank, Franklin Graham. Or you, you may be called to help a struggling family get up on their feet. Yeah, I know, I, I would hope Mike, Mike Fry wouldn't mind but, uh, telling you this, but Mike Fry, uh, one of our members here, has, has one of his missions lately has been to help one of our members who, who, is, who is homebound and can't get out and do shopping and, and get meds and, and some of the things that he needs, do some repairs around the house. Uh, and Mike has decided that that's going to be one of his ministries. And, um, and what a blessing he has been for this person and for the kingdom of God. Uh, your role in the kingdom of God might be to serve as an elder in the church. Uh, or it might be to be a youth sponsor and go to uh, a youth event uh, with, with the kids. Um, God might call you to the mission field in Ghana, West Africa, like he did the Hostetters. Uh, or he might call you to share Christ with someone that you work with. Uh, to, uh, to begin an intentional relationship with them so that you can share your faith uh, with them right here where you live. So never try to second-guess God by thinking that you have no place in his kingdom. Let's be like Abraham. Uh, let's step out in faith and be ready to go and do whatever God would lead us to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this great story of, of Abraham and Sarah. Father, uh, there's, there's so much in this story to, to learn from and to grow in. It is amazing to think that uh, those, are, those are the two you chose to begin your, nation, your new nation. But when we think about it, it makes, it makes all the sense of the world. Because once we see what you did through them, we see your power. Uh, we see uh, that this plan was yours and yours only. And so thank you for this story. We thank you for the faith of Abraham. What a great example his faith was as he did just get up and move. And he, and he did, uh, was willing to offer his son. Um, we're, we're thankful that he didn't have to go through with that. But he was, he was ready and willing to do whatever you ask him to do. And so, Father, I, I just pray as, as we marvel at uh, the way you brought us Jesus, through Abraham and his family and, and the nation that came from him. As we marvel at that, help us to also marvel at, at our place and how you can use us in your kingdom right now uh, to serve you, to reach out to the lost, to reach out to those in need, uh, to share the love of Christ with our family, with people around us. So thank you, Father, for this story. Uh, we thank you for uh, your willingness to to give us a plan to get back to you. Uh, Father, help us to serve Jesus with all of our might this week. And if there's somebody out there that's listening today that hasn't yet accepted Jesus as their Savior uh, and don't yet have the forgiveness of their sins and don't yet have the Holy Spirit living in them, uh, they will take the steps needed to make that happen in their lives. Father, we thank you again. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.